Well, Kairos, it is so good to see you. It is wonderful to hear you sing so loudly. I think one of the special things about Kairos is that we want to be people who are participants, not observers. People who are participate in worship. We're not just here to sing. We're here to make a big deal about Jesus. And so tonight, as you get ready to transition to the preaching of the word, I hope we carry that exact same energy that we continue to say what we're about is the name and renown of Jesus, not just an event, not just a moment, but a, a worship gathering. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, why don't you turn with me uh, to the book of Mark. And we're going to be in uh, Mark chapter 11 as we continue our study in the book of Mark. Now, tonight we're going to talk about a very touchy subject, and that is car cleanliness. Car cleanliness. I don't know about you, um, but the cleanliness of somebody's car says a lot about them, okay? Have you ever gotten in a car with somebody and it's just like completely a mess, like there's trash everywhere? Some of us are feeling a lot of shame tonight. We're not being, we're not being able to hide, you know? Uh, some of us in this room are really good at keeping their car clean. Shows a lot of leadership if you're one of those people. May mean that you're somebody who's very... Uh, careful with your car. Maybe you have a very nice car. I used to be that person, and then I had children, okay? I used to have a very clean car. I would get personally offended if anybody would put trash in my car. My wife, one time, we were on a date, and she put some uh, trash in the, the, the side, like, cup holder thing, and I was kind of like, that's not a trash can. I remember it almost ended our relationship. I was like, that is, that is not okay. However, something changed me forever, and that's the fact that I have children now, which means that my entire car is a trash can, okay? My car consistently has little people in it actively conspiring against the cleanliness of my vehicle. So I get it nice and clean, I put some kids in it, and, and just chaos occurs. It's a war zone, especially if you go on a long trip. I have no idea where they get these snacks, where they get the stuff, but when we let them out, all of a sudden we look in the back and it looks completely like somebody took a bunch of Cheetos and just did this, everywhere, okay? Not only that, it's also like the Bermuda Triangle. Things just disappear, like whole cups of milk. Do you know how gross that is if you discover some milk that's been sitting in your car for a month? Let me tell you, it's the worst discovery you can possibly find. Not only that, uh, there are things that just disappear and we just kind of never get them back till months, maybe even years later. Uh, I have a baby boy, his name is Josiah. He's a lot of fun. The other day he lost a shoe. I have no idea where the shoe went. Like we were looking for the shoe everywhere. I found it this week. I was gonna get some mulch to mulch my, my uh, yards because let me just tell you, for those of you guys who are not married yet, those of you who don't have kids, there's something weird that happens. Like there's, there's this like momentary blip in your consciousness and all of a sudden uh, you were once like young and fun and all of a sudden you have like a dog and a mortgage and like kids and that happened to me. And the other day I was like having to like, like mulch my yard, which is like a very like dad-like thing to do, right? And as I was getting the seats down in my minivan, reflecting on how my life has turned into something I never saw uh, coming, I closed one of the seats down and pop, there goes the shoe. It's just like out of the middle of nowhere. And I realized it was time to clean the van again. And the reason I'm telling you this story about cleaning stuff is because tonight we're gonna see Jesus clean the temple. 
It's a well-known story, but I think a lot of us miss why he did it. And the reason why Jesus does this, I'm just gonna get this out right in front of you, is because if we are not careful, time and life will bring things into the temple. And we can find ourselves not allowing God to be known through the temple, the temple of our own life. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But tonight we're going to read the story first. Mark chapter 11, verse 15 says this. They came to Jerusalem and he went into the temple and began to throw out those buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. It would not permit anyone to carry goods through the temple. He was teaching them, is it not written, my house will be called the house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. Now, a little bit of background. Um, Jesus cleanses the temple twice in the gospels. So if you read it and you're like, they're a little bit different, it's because he does this at the beginning of his ministry, but then on the last week of his life, after he enters this city, going up to worship at Passover, Jesus enters the temple and kicks everybody out. Now, this version of Jesus is one that's at odds with the way that we see Jesus sometimes. Like sometimes we think about Jesus and he's just like, like so chill and so mellow and nothing bothers him. And, you know, like lepers show up yelling unclean. He's like, yeah, come on over. You know, I'm just going to heal you. You see people who are... Uh, uh, like absolutely at their lowest, the untouchables. Jesus is like, oh, I, I would love to heal you. You find people shouting at him and getting angry with him. You even find demon-possessed people coming to him. And Jesus has an answer to everything and he never loses his cool. Except for here, Jesus becomes aggro. Like he literally, if you look with me in the text, look with me in your Bibles, he goes and begins to throw people out. He goes to throw out those buying and selling. He grabs people and kicks them out of the temple. He overthrows tables. Jesus loses his temper and begins to cleanse the temple. And so the question we have to ask is why? So the temple in and of itself was a symbol. The symbol was this. You cannot get to God. God must come to you. When God gave people the temple, it was the center of his worship, it was the place that everybody had to come worship so that their sins could be forgiven. And so if you were a good, devout Jew, you would come to the temple at least once a year to offer sacrifices for your sins. If you were really devout, you'd come at every high feast day, like Passover, where they were celebrating God's uh, liberation of the people of Israel from captivity in Egypt. And so people would come from everywhere. And when they would come worship, they could only come to the place that they were qualified to come to. So the temple, if, if you're going to think about it, just kind of like uh, in, in concrete terms, it was a series of concentric circles of access. At the very center was the Holy of Holies. It was where the Ark of the Covenant was. If you've seen the Indiana Jones movies, right? The very first one where people's faces melt off when they open it, right? The Ark of the Covenant, that's what we're talking about. It was a place that only the high priest could go one time a year 
because the presence of God was there. And if he wasn't all prayed up and all, all confessed up, he literally would be struck dead by God when he entered. They'd actually put a rope around his, his ankle and they'd put bells on him. So if the bells stopped tinkling, they could drag him out. Like talk about like job performance anxiety, right? <laughs> to go before the presence of the Lord and he may strike me dead if I didn't pray it all out, okay? So he can only go there once a year. The next circle is the holy place. And only the priests could go there. If you were a Levite, you couldn't go there. Only the priests could go. The next uh, circle was the court. But here's the, the, the tough thing, ladies. Only Jewish men could go to that. The next uh, circle was the court of the women, where Jewish women could come and worship. And the last court, the biggest of them all, was the court of the Gentiles, where anybody could come. But you find concentric circles where people were denied access because God wasn't just being mean or, or being misogynistic or being somebody that was against outsiders. What he was teaching was that you cannot come to God on your own merits. God needs to come to you. Now, the one place that God does allow access in a surprising way is this outer court, the court of the Gentiles. If you were not a Jew, you were not part of God's people. And yet God made a place for those who are Gentiles to come and find God's presence. It was a, a sign that anybody was welcome, that God was going to at some point erase all those barriers in Jesus so that everybody has access. And it is in that court, the court of the Gentiles, that Jesus finds people selling artifacts, selling animals for worship, trading coins, and making money off the worship of God. And it's here that Jesus gets incredibly upset and angry because the one place in the whole world where God is saying the Gentiles have access to God, people set up shop and drove them out. Could you imagine how hard it'd be to have a worship service with people selling things right in the same room? Like, can you imagine us here at Kairos having worship, and over there, there are people like trading playing cards, right? Just like trading cards or people like selling stuff. That's what was happening in the scriptures here. And you find Jesus beginning to get upset. So if you want to make God angry, block people from worship. Because what Jesus says here in verse 15, where he says, my house will be called the house of prayer for all nations. He is quoting from Isaiah 56. And I think we should read it together so you can actually hear what Jesus is quoting because he's quoting directly from the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah, there's a promise of Jesus coming. And it says this, it says, as for the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, to minister him, to love the name of the Lord, to become his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and hold firmly to my covenant. I will bring them to my holy mountain and let them rejoice in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar for my house will be called the house of prayer for all nations. God is making it possible for everybody to come and this is why Jesus is upset, because people were keeping God's 
people, the ones he wants to reach from worship. Now, today, there is no temple. It's been destroyed. It was destroyed in 70 AD. So we've had almost 2,000 years without a temple. It seems in the book of Revelation that that temple will be rebuilt someday. Today, it's one of the most highly contested pieces of real estate on the planet. Jews, Christians, and Muslims all claim a part of the temple site. But that doesn't keep us from applying this text to our life because here's the deal. Today, there is no temple, but there still is a temple. In fact, there are millions of temples because what the Bible tells us is that now you are God's temple. You are God's temple. God did not make the temple a place any longer. It's a people. And God is using people to be the access point for others to experience the goodness of God. But it's not just generally a temple. Like your body, you are not just generally a temple to any religion or any God. God says that you are his. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20, the apostle Paul says this. He says, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. Y'all, so what the Apostle Paul is saying here, I think it's important for us to realize what he's saying. He's saying, Jesus, when he went to the cross, he paid a price so that you could be his. So you and your body are no longer your own, but you belong to Jesus. Now, for many of us, that sounds like, wow, that sounds like works. Like, I need to perform for God to love me. Like, I, like there's a transaction like, what do I do with that? I thought the gospel is not about, like, behavior modification. What am I supposed to do with this? What I want you to hear tonight is this. God wants you to use your life and what you do with your life for his glory. You are a temple to glorify God. And he wants you to make sure that nothing is in your life that will keep you from following Jesus or having others experience Jesus through your life. You know, the Bible tells us that there are things that he wants to do in us. There are works that he wants us to accomplish. And the Bible is not afraid of good works, but it does tell us that we do not work for our salvation, but we work from our salvation. Look with me in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. So in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, the apostle Paul writes and says, you are, not, you are saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. So the apostle Paul says, hey, listen, you didn't earn it. You couldn't work hard enough. Like you can't, you can't get to God. That, that salvation is God coming to you it's through faith, in Christ Jesus, verse 10, then he says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. I want you to hear what God is saying here. He's saying that I have a plan and a purpose for your life. And it stems from your identity. Around here, a lot of times we talk about people's identity. As a Christ follower, when you trust Jesus, you are his child. You are his treasure. He loves you. But the Bible also says that you are also his temple. And you are created to worship him. 
That is who you are. That's what he has made you to be. And so the first step in being somebody that lives out that identity is to say, I want to be someone who lives that out in real time. The Bible's got this phrase that a lot of us don't use very much. But it's this phrase called consecration, which simply means to say, I'm going to be someone who's set apart. In the Bible, when the temple was first built, they consecrated it. They said, this is separate from everything else. This is set apart for God's worship and God's worship alone. And in the Bible, you find this phrase over and over again, the idea of being consecrated, set apart for a purpose. In the book of Joshua, when God's about to free the people from being in the wilderness to bring them into the promised land, Joshua tells the people to set themselves apart, to consecrate themselves, because God was going to do something incredible. The very act of consecration means simply having an expectation that God's going to do something in you and through you so you get yourself ready for it. It reminds me kind of of Christmas. One of the things that's best about Christmas is that we have a, well, I was going to say an entire month to get ready, but let's not, let's not kid ourselves. It starts like in October, right? We start preparing ourselves for Christmas. We like we skipped completely over like Thanksgiving. Like Halloween is next. We're gonna be selling Christmas trees like in July soon, right? Why? Because we are preparing ourselves for Christmas. Consecration works like that. It's preparing yourself, setting yourself apart. In 2 Timothy 2:2, I'm sorry, 2:21. It says this, it says, so if anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable, he will be a special instrument set apart, useful for the master, prepared for every good work. And friends, tonight, what I want you to hear is that God wants to use you. And I believe that many of you want to be used by God in a great way. But you don't know how to get there. Like you want God to show up like you see in the Bible. You want to see God do something in you. You don't want to play at church, but you don't know how to get there. So let me tell you how to get there. The way you get there is by setting yourself apart. The way you get there is by cleansing your temple. The way you get there is by saying, Jesus I don't want anything in my life to keep people from knowing you. I'm not going to play with sin anymore. I'm not going to let things get into my life that distract me from worship. I'm going to get serious about making my life a place of prayer for all nations that everybody can experience Jesus through my life. And this is a hard thing to do, and it's not something you can do on your own. You see, all of us have stuff. We all have stuff cluttering our life. Your life is a lot like my minivan. My life is like my minivan. There's stuff everywhere. But Jesus and his goodness, if we ask him, he'll start to clean it up. And so that's what I want to do tonight as we close out. 
Your life is a temple. It belongs to Jesus. And he wants to use it for incredible things that you cannot imagine. And if you set yourself apart and say, I want to be his, I want God to use me. Jesus, show me what I need to do so that I can be used. God will do it. God will do it. So perhaps there's an addiction that you're holding fast to and no one knows God may want that from you tonight. Perhaps there's pride. You still think that you can work hard enough to come to Jesus, but you can't get to God. God must come to you. And you must simply say, Jesus, I need you. For some, it's busyness. We filled up every moment of our life pursuing money or experiences, and there is no room for anybody to talk to us about the things that really matter. There is no room for us to be in a group with somebody else. There's no room because we have maxed it all out. And God says, I want you to set apart your time because I want to do something through you. But you have to let me be in charge of your calendar and your priorities. Some of us are chasing wealth. And wealth is ultimately our God. We've brought it into our life and there's no room for God to do anything because we are so concerned with having more. Some of us have relationships and we're going too far. We're pursuing that intimacy and those feelings and Jesus is no longer the first thing in our life. Y'all, I've been married 15 years. Tomorrow's my 15 year anniversary. I don't... I don't, I don't know whether to laugh or cry. Like, it's been awesome. I'm getting old. It's the second thing. But I'll say this. The way my relationship has flourished is because we have both put Jesus first. He has been the primary focus of our marriage. If I start worshiping my wife instead of Jesus, we go sideways really fast. So my question to you tonight is simply this. This is our 122nd question. What does Jesus need to cleanse in your temple? And I want you to ask him. We don't serve a dead God. We serve a living Savior who does interact with us. If we ask him questions, he talks back. So... What does Jesus need to cleanse? Maybe it's shame. Your shame is keeping you from following Jesus. Maybe it's your past. Jesus can cleanse that. Again, maybe it's a sin pattern. Maybe it's simply being too busy, but ask him. Jesus, we ask that you would move right now the reason you cleansed the temple is because you loved the people who are selling more than they could imagine and you had something better for them. You love those who are on the outside who couldn't get in. And ultimately you made it possible for everybody to have access, that there were no more courts, 
There's simply a highway to the presence of God. So God, I pray that you would do something within us tonight where we would say, I will be set apart. I will be set apart for whatever you want me to do, God. I will be consecrated to you. I will be yours. And I wanna say this to those who feel like they have been disqualified in some way, that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Everyone can get in on this. I don't care what you've done. Jesus has paid it all. So for anybody who tonight is saying, I just need to believe again. I just wanna pray this prayer. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I am broken and I need a savior. I need hope. I want to be set apart. Jesus, would you come to me? I've been trying to come to you so long and I can't get there anymore. But would you come and save my life? It's in Jesus' name we pray.